Welcome to Godsplaining, contemplative preacher's contemporary age. Each week, join the Dominican friars as they consider all things Catholic. Hello and welcome back to Godsplaining. I am Father Gregory Pine, joined here by Father Jacob Bertram Chancic and Father Patrick Mary Briscoe. This is our third installment of Advent Lexio Divinas as a way by which to help you prepare for the Sunday liturgy by entering more deeply into the sacred page as it is proclaimed. Uh, last time, Father Patrick had the bright idea to begin with random Advent facts, which was actually quite the showstopper. We were all just bracing for impact, and truth be told, it was whimsical and delightful. So I, by way of counterpoint, it's not actually by way of counterpoint, it's just by way of excitement. Um, I thought that here we could do the Latin word trick introduction. So you know that this is Gaudete Sunday, and it affords every pastor the world over the opportunity to give a small instructive lesson in the Latin language. So the question for you is, what is the best way in which you have used Latin in a homily that, while being tricky, was also delightful? Father Jacob Bertrand, do you have one offhand? What a dumb thing to start with. Uh, no, because the people I preach to don't understand, like I preach in English, um, but I can tell you that I was president. I mean, like how ridiculous, nobody cares. Uh, in high school, I was president of our Latin club. Don't worry. I was a geek. Um, and we had t-shirts my senior year and on the back of them, they said Semper Ubi Sub Ubi which loosely translates to always wear underwear. Um, but yeah, that's my Latin word thing for you. And I've not used it in a homily. So nice. that's it. <laughs> Isn't that nice? Yeah. yeah um, I, and I'm the sort of scholar that prefers Greek word trick. Uh, <laughs> so, I, I denounce... I denounce Latin word trick and <laughs> argue argue instead uh, for the preferential option of Greek word trip, which I used just yesterday, giving a tour of the National Basilica. I was walking around with a couple of friends, and I pointed out to them that the Greek word basilica means kingdom. Huh? So, like, the church called a basilica is a reference to the kingdom. He was asking for homily word tricks. Isn't that great? <laughs> My life is a homily. There it is. Beautiful. Okay. And uh, I'll take the host's privilege and not answer my own question. <laughs> that means that Father Gregory doesn't know any Latin. So neither does Father Patrick because he does the Greek thing. But at least Father Patrick proves that he can make word tricks. Father Gregory is boring. Yeah, such savagery. All right, folks. But it's let's okay. Let's get into the Advent spirit and let's just, uh, let's say. <laughs> the Adventus spirit. <laughs> Guys, we're just on fire. Here we go. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O God, who see how your people faithfully await the feast of the Lord's nativity, enable us, we pray, to attain the joys of so great a salvation and to celebrate them always with solemn worship and glad rejoicing. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen.
All right, Father Patrick, lead us into our first reading. A reading from the book of the prophet Zephaniah. Shout for joy, O daughter Zion. Sing joyfully, O Israel. Be glad and exult with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has removed the judgment against you. He has turned away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You have no further misfortune to fear. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, do not be discouraged. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty Savior. He will rejoice over you with gladness and renew you in his love. He will sing joyfully because of you, as one sings at festivals. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I was struck just at the beginning of this reading, the combination of language that seems to appeal to festivity, to music, to dance, and then the language that appeals to war, conflict, conquest, etc. And it kind of harkens to uh, Exodus 15. So after the Israelites crossed the Red Sea and their enemies were defeated, uh, they, they break out into song. And there's a whole chapter dedicated to song before they begin grumbling, um, which lasts for the rest of the sacred page. Um, so uh, it's fascinating because these two things seem to be discordant or they don't seem to be on the same page. But I think that this is one of the riches of the imagery that's used in sacred scripture and the imagery that we appropriate in the context of the life of the church. So for instance, like when we describe the church, we'll talk about it as the people of God, or we'll talk about it as a perfect society, or we'll talk about it as, you know, um, you know, like kind of like a grafted tree. I mean, these are just some of the images that are used at the beginning of like Lumen Gentium for which, for whichever reason I have on my mind, because I mentioned that last week, I will also be made fun of for that. All right. God is good. Nice um, Latin word, Father Gregory. Yeah, thanks. Cheers. All right. I was just, I was just saving it. Let's see if I can include Latin in all of my responses for the rest of the episode. Um, but I think that um, this, this gives indication of our relationship with the Lord in just a kind of small way. So you, you, you don't have to feel yourself kind of limited by, all right, um, you know, you've got this relationship and I'm kind of a soldier and he's kind of a general, but that doesn't seem especially intimate. That doesn't seem especially, you know, kind of like warm. It doesn't seem especially, I don't know, delightful. But those images are often put in close ju juxtaposition so that we are not tempted to reduce our relationship according to one or the other paradigm but rather to understand it after the manner of many. So just as we have four gospels, which offer us four enriching perspectives on the life of our Lord Jesus, so too um, we set forth many images whereby to understand the life of the church and our own life of faith so that by it, we might be challenged to grow more perfectly in it. Father Gregory was mentioning um, this idea of relationship. And if you have been tuning in for these Advent Lexios, We've been talking about this idea of relationship and perhaps it's, um, I don't know, an easy kind of hobby horse or like a soapbox to stand on and in uh, and, and, and talking about the Christian life. But there is great truth to the fact that we are called to to be in relationship with the Lord. This is why he becomes a man, why he's born of the virgin, so that we can be afforded a, a, a relationship with with our God. And often when we think of our relationship with God, we think of the things that we do or that we're supposed to do, right? That we should pray, we should worship, we should repent, we should adore, we should do good works, you know, et cetera. Um, but the prophet uh, Zephaniah in today's first reading also gives us a glimpse into what the Lord does in this relationship. 
um, when he comes into our presence, uh, he shows sort of the other side that God loves and rejoices in sharing his life with us. Now we see this on display in the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, but also we should see this on display in the nativity and um, the way by which Zephaniah paints this picture for us. You know, he says that he, God, God will rejoice over you with gladness. He will rejoice. He will renew you in his love. He will sing joyfully because of you. God is takes joy in us sharing in the divine life and us coming to know him and us coming to love him. And there's a real beauty to that because, um, because the, you know, I think the Christmas season is an easy time to see that, to be happy, to see, um, you know, the joys of our faith and that sort of thing. But it's the reality is, is that in many ways, the incarnation is, is just the beginning of that, the beginning of sharing in God's life, the beginning of receiving his mercy so as to um, live with him, so as to reign with him. The thing that echoes in my ears uh, is this phrase from the prophet, exalt with all your heart. Why? Well, because in that line, that just that little phrase, all your heart, I hear a reference um, to the, the great commandment, the great, uh, the great prayer of Israel. We'll do Hebrew trick right now. We'll call that prayer the Shema, which are the first words there. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Therefore, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your strength. Uh, so here, w in the words of the prophet, we get a sense uh, for the kind of totality of love that God is calling for, um, the, the kind of joy that is going to encompass not just a, a part of our life, but, but the whole of our life, that our love for the Lord um, is not just going to be cordoned off to part of our lives, but it's going to extend and consume um, and touch every aspect of our life, that it's going to require not just a part of our heart, but our whole heart. Uh, and that because of that, uh, we're, we're going to be able to enter into it. It's, a, it's an expansive thing. Um, it's the kind of thing that we can actually throw our whole selves into. Um, and because of that, the joy from it is very rich. I think all of us have had the experience of a kind of testing a relationship, right, a friendship um, that, you know, maybe we thought there was more promise for with a particular friend uh, than there ended up being. And that's always kind of a sadness, right, when you realize, like, oh, this person's actually kind of small and he or she's not the friend that I thought they were going to be for me. Um, and, and that, that's a kind of sorrow, but here, uh, in the relationship, um, we have with the Lord, uh, we have the opportunity for something that can bear the weight of our heart for something that, that we can pour our whole selves into. And because of that, we'll be, we'll be the kind of, uh, rich and abundant joy, the kind of thing that, that fills uh, the entirety of our life. All right, with, the, with that, let's pass on to the second reading, which is taken from St. Paul's letter to the Philippians. Brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord always. I shall say it again, rejoice. Your kindness should be known to all. The Lord is near. Have no anxiety at all, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sometimes I think when when I read or when we read scripture, we hear things that the that the church teaches, or yeah, in this reading even from Saint Paul, um, a reaction is kind of like, yeah, right. Like, what are you talking about? This how how why how can this be? And the line that jumps out from Saint Paul's letter to the Philippians here is, "Have no anxiety at all." Like, what are you talking about? Like. 
I am constantly anxious, constantly stressed. Uh, you know, like life is life is burdensome. Life is difficult. Life has its worries. And and like, how can you just say have no anxiety at all? You know, God is near. Okay, fine. But that even that gives me anxiety. So like, what am I, what am I supposed to do? Um, the, the, if we look at the reading from the, the first reading and the second reading, they're both telling us the prophet and St. Paul are, are telling us don't, don't have anxiety, don't have fear, don't be discouraged. And it's in, in this setting, as we prepare, you know, now in the third week of Advent, as we prepare for the coming of Christ, that, that this, this encouragement to be, uh, to not be anxious can be, can have any merit, can have, can be fulfilled in any way. Um, it's because peace, sort of the antithesis to anxiety, fear, discouragement, peace is an effect. It's not something that we can manuf manufacture. It's an effect and it's a gift. And it's, it, it's something that we receive in the presence of a good, of something that's good and true and beautiful. And peace um, is given in proportion to the good thing. And we know that our Lord is is goodness himself. He is, you know, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings. And it's only in relationship with the King, with the Prince of Peace, that there can be any hope to leave beside our fear and discouragement and anxiety. Because when we look at him, when we set our, our sights on the God King, on the Christ child, we know that he has already conquered. And it's only the distractions of this world, the distractions that Satan puts in front of us of our own sin that that really disrupt that. So it's not a sort of St. Paul is not telling us, well, just stop being anxious, stop being ridiculous. God is near, you know, chill out, what, you know, but in, in a true and real way, he's he's directing our sights to the one who brings about this this peace, who brings about this comfort, who, as Father Patrick was saying, can can sort of bear our hearts and and who we are and and fulfill that and lead that and and be a source of like divine stability in in a world that can seem so chaotic and so um, stress inducing and anxiety fulfilling that it's the Prince of Peace who we await. When reading the sacred scriptures, I think it's good to be sensitive to the genre in which they're working, and oftentimes with the letters of Saint Paul. I think it's good to approach it as a kind of homily, right? As a kind of exhortation, as a kind of appeal to the goodwill of those whom he addresses as a way by which to encourage them in their faith and their profession. And uh, one of our brothers, Father James Brent, once instructed me that when you preach, he said, you don't have to make arguments necessarily. You can just assert because within the context of a preaching act, right? You're not going to say, you know, the major premise is this and the minor premise is this, and therefore the conclusion is this, which leads me to this further minor premise and this further, you know, it's like, it's a little bit burdensome to, uh, to proceed in that way. You can just assert because it's, you know, it's partly a rhetorical art, right? So you're trying to one, uh, you know, endear people to the word, which you profess by a kind of commendation, right? So if, if you're of good character and if you have good things to say and you, and you convey it in a way that's good, then people are more likely to listen. And it's interesting, like when you follow the logic of St. Paul's preaching, he just, he just puts true things next to each other and kind of lets you fill in the gaps or not so much provide the arguments because most of us aren't really thinking along those lines, but he lets you draw the connections. And I think it's fascinating that he tells us to rejoice and then a kind of justification immediately attendant upon that is the Lord is near. So if we are to rejoice, it's by recognition of the fact that the Lord is near. 
And I think here he just he taps in or he gives he gives occasion for our our thoughts on come on, Father Gregory, speak in a way that's more concrete and direct. Okay, when he says that, it makes me think of recollection. So we are to be constantly in the presence of God. Now, regardless of whether or not we acknowledge it, we are in the presence of God because God's God's present to us. But the question is whether we are present to him, whether we turn and acknowledge that fact, abide in the presence of that fact, not in the fact, but in the person himself. And so during this Advent season, we mentioned in an earlier episode, it's a penitential season. And the reason for which we acknowledge our attachments and seek to detach from them is so that we can be more attached to the Lord, so that we can be recollected in his presence, so that we can advert to it often, so that ultimately we can abide with him because this life is just but a preparation for the perpetual abiding with him, which we await in heaven. So yeah, the Lord is near. All right, with that, I've noticed that I have cut in front of Father Patrick and that just is further occasion for humiliation, but it's like a Latin word trick because it affords me the opportunity to say humilitas. So Father Patrick, go for it. I embrace and accept your humilitas. Be, uh, as religious, one of the uh, core activities of our lives, as you all know, is praying the Liturgy of the Hours. And one of the things that happens regularly in the Liturgy of the Hours is during the Office of Readings, we hear lessons from the lives of the saints. Uh, if it's the feast day of a saint. If it's not a feast day of a saint, it's usually some kind of like boring church document. And I sort of half listen because I'm an unrepentant sinner. Uh, but if it's a story from the lives of the saints, and my ears always perk up because they're usually so wild. And one of the ones that catches my catches my ear every year um, uh, is in November on the Feast of the Vietnamese Martyrs. And uh, one of the Vietnamese martyrs writes home to a seminary describing the situation in prison. And he says, the prison here is a true image of everlasting hell. To cruel torches of every kind, shackles, chains, manacles are added hatred. Vengeance, calumnies, obscene speech, quarrels, evil acts, swearing, curses, and anguish, and grief. And in the midst of these torments, he continues, which usually terrify others, I am, by the grace of God, full of joy and gladness, because I am not alone. Christ is with me. We get a little bit of that uh, in this second reading. Um, where we, hear, where we have St. Paul encouraging us, as Father Jacob Bertrand alluded to, to have no anxiety at all, because when we are with Christ, there's no reason to be anxious. And um, martyrs like uh, St. Paul uh, of Vietnam uh, can have and can be at total peace in the midst of a place that he calls an absolute hell because he has found Christ there in its midst. Uh, the peace of God is not, therefore, an abstract state of mind. We might be inclined to think that um, peace is some kind of Buddhist emptiness. Um, the peace of God is the peace of Jesus Christ. Um, it's encountering the presence of Christ, the person of Christ. All right. With that, let's go ahead and turn to the gospel. If you would, Father Jacob Bertrand. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. The crowds asked John the Baptist, what should we do? He said to them in reply, whoever has two cloaks should share with the person who has none, and whoever has food should do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they said to him, teacher, what should we do? He answered them, stop collecting more than what is prescribed. Soldiers also asked him, and what is it that we should do? 
he told them, do not practice extortion, do not falsely accuse anyone, and be satisfied with your wages. Now, the people were filled with expectation, and all were asking in their hearts whether John might be the Christ. He answered them all, saying, I am baptizing you with water, but one mightier than I is coming. I am not worthy to loosen the thongs of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Exhorting them in many other ways, he preached good news to the people. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus' exhortation uh, is a little bit difficult here. Um, Be satisfied. Uh, He he instructs to... um, be satisfied with your wages. Be satisfied with the present moment. The great temptation in the spiritual life is to want to live in the future, which is not yet, or in the past, um, which no longer exists, the past which exists only as memory. Um, and so to try and uh, to, to be, the, the, the great temptation of the spiritual life is to be caught up in, in one of those other moments, uh, to be thinking of what's coming and, and be drawn out into a, into a kind of daydream or to be captured by guilt or shame or, or, or um, feelings of things that have already happened. And what we're invited to in a life with Christ is to live with him in the present moment, to be satisfied with things as they are, to be able to be with Christ in the here and now of life and recognize that uh, the doing so is uh, part of what Jesus instructs for discipleship, to be attentive to the, to the current moment, to the present moment, to neither be dwelling in the future uh, or the past exclusively, but to be attentive to the ways that Christ is now in my life. So uh, whenever I read this gospel, I'm struck by the fact that when the preaching of the kingdom begins by anticipation in the words of St. John the Baptist, it seems like a pretty straightforward call to, you know, like what we would probably denominate social justice. Um, Why am I struck by this? Well, uh, certainly in the American church, I don't know to what extent is true elsewhere, but um, like political polarization has a way of getting into all of our discourse. So, you know, when you think of political terms, like you, you watch the news on this news site and I watch news on this news site. And so I kind of conceive of all of the world after this or that paradigm. And then I begin to import those, you know, categories or whatever into my practice of the faith. And so if people who watch, you know, the other news site, embrace certain themes or embrace certain aspects of the gospel, uh, then I kind of like reject them (laughs) because it's just, it's not part of my trope. Um, So like when you read texts that encourage you to just, you know, like love and take care of poor people, you just, you just can't get around. I mean, you just can't get around it. Um, I've heard Archbishop Shapu quoted as saying, if you don't love the poor, you're going to hell. (laughs) Holy smokes. Right. Um, So I I think that there's just a kind of honesty that we have to assume before the sacred page. And while we shouldn't just reduce the gospel to taking care of the material poor, um, as if that were the be all and end all without a kind of Christological horizon and things besides, you know, that's just it seems to be the case that that's where it starts, at least in John the Baptist preaching. And when Jesus comes on the scene, he takes to his lips the very words with which John the Baptist himself began that preaching. So, yeah, what we seek to bring about in this world by, you know, the grace of God at work in our hearts is a kind of justice, right? A kind of righteousness, a kind of justification. 
And we only ever do so as instruments, right, of that grace, of the movement of God in our lives. Uh, but we should seek to do so in ways that are concrete, right? So we can't live at the level of abstraction. We can't live at the level of, you know, grand social, whatever, constructs. It's just got to be, yeah, it's just, it's just got to be concrete. So when somebody's having a crisis of faith and they're entertaining all kinds of like strange philosophies and they don't know, they're like not convinced about the existence of other minds. I mean, I think the wisest counsel is just to serve with the missionaries of charity at the nearest soup kitchen. You know, it's just like the gospel takes root in those settings and it has its kind of most concrete and particular expression in those settings. You were mentioning that uh, quote attributed to, to Archbishop Chaput about loving the poor, going to hell. It's interesting that the gospel for the third Sunday of Advent, what's the 12th of December, uh, and Christmas is less than two weeks, Christmas is two weeks away, less than two weeks away. And the gospel here kind of concludes with um, a warning of hell, and then saying that, uh, that, that John the Baptist, he preached the good news to the people. It's like, whoa, here it is, Christmas, two weeks away, trees are trimmed, candles are lit. What else do you trim? Just trees. But, you know, people gearing up for Christmas, and here we have uh, this warning of hell, just as the Christ child is about to enter into the world. Um, why? Well, the nativity, Christmas often, you know, conjures up, or at least it reveals to us, as we've talked about, uh, on this and other episodes during Advent of these Lexio episodes, it reveals to us the humanity and the gentleness of God, his desire to rejoice with us, to be with us, to be in that relationship. But John reminds us of the mission of the Christ child, of why Christ becomes man. He does so not simply to be like a nice swaddled little babe that we can hold, but to save and to save by destroying the devil and his claim over us and sin. This is why Christ becomes a man, to save us from those things, ultimately to rid us from anxiety, to rid us from fear and discouragement so that we can share in his life and rejoice as the prophets are telling us and, and live that life that is conformed to him as St. Paul has been calling us to, to, to leave behind this life of sin. I think sometimes when we hear about hell and sin and these things, we think, that it's just kind of finger wagging. That like, if you don't do what God wants, you're going to be punished for it. Well, perhaps that's a too simplistic way to look at it. That in fact, there's an invitation and that the nativity is an invitation to share in God's life. We're not forced into that. And there's an alternate, you know, to, to be excluded from that life by our own decisions. But the beauty is that our Lord invites us gently and mercifully as the Christ child to pursue him, to be with him, to to be conformed to him in this beautiful season that's approaching of Christmas, to share in the life of the Holy Family, and most importantly, in the Trinitarian life. That's what's on offer. And that's what John the Baptist here is, is calling our attention to as Christmas is but hmm, two weeks away. And I think that we will leave you with that uh, for this week of our uh, Advent Lectio Divinae. Uh, so thanks so much for having tuned in. Uh, please do consider sharing this particular episode, whether on your podcast app or on YouTube with a friend, uh, so that way they too can be equally equipped in their gearing up for Christmas. Um, we appreciate very much your support of the podcast, your prayers for the podcast, your material support uh, through Patreon, both for both of which we're very, very grateful. 
um, as we start gearing up for the new year, you'll start seeing, you know, guest planning come back and live planning come back with the frequency with which we were, you know, doing both uh, before before Advent rolled around. So stay tuned for that. Um, and as a way by which to kind of send you off, let's pray a prayer from the end of this weekend's liturgy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. May the Almighty and merciful God, by whose grace you have placed your faith in the first coming of his only begotten Son, and yearn for his coming again, sanctify you by the radiance of Christ's advent, and enrich you with his blessing. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, our prayers are for you. Please pray for us, and we will catch you next time on God's Planning. Thanks for listening to God's Planning, a work of the Dominican Friars of the Province of St. Joseph. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Leave a review on your podcast app and visit us at godsplaining.org.